1: What's
2: the role that language plays in community? And in particular now with the way that language is changing, how do you know what kind of language to use? We've got emoji, we've got GIFs, we've got all different kinds of memes, and the landscape is changing. And so how do you know when you should or shouldn't use these things and what's right and wrong? Well, uh, fortunately, today, we've got Mignon Fogarty, a.k.a. Grammar Girl, who's going to give us her take on all of that, as well as the role of play and how to maintain some separation in your identity between your human self and your internet brand. So all that and more on this episode of The Community Experience. Welcome, 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 everyone to this episode of the Community Experience. I'm Tony Bacigalupo, and I've got Jill Benbow here as well. Oh, hello. I said that like it's a surprise, but we're co-hosts. Surprise. Surprise. It's us again. So, language. Language, we have – we're in an interesting time. We've got, you know, good old English, which is kind of a mess already – but with the Internet, language is changing. We have emoji, and emojis uh, look different on different operating systems. They mean different things to different people. In some cases, they could be you know pretty universal, but in some cases, their meanings might be interpreted differently by different cultures. We've got memes. You know, we've probably got actually a lot of community organizers out there who have communities of people who are talking using language and references that the community leaders might not know. So there's a lot to talk about as far as language and Absolutely. how you relate to it as a community leader.
0: You know, it's funny, especially um, even just in companies, like our company uses Slack to talk to each other. We're a remote, fully remote team. I know I've worked for several companies that use Slack and <laughs> it took me so long. The prayer hands, I thought that was a high five for the longest time. Like I would use the prayer hands all the time. And I notice people use it all the time in a, in a way I would use high five, but then like, I don't even know what's going on. There's no consensus on what it actually means, except it, it works regardless of if you think it's prayer hands or high five. It's amazing.
2: See, I, I, I'm okay with thinking of it as a high five. That's cool for me. Did you think it was prayer hands? It's kind of ambiguous, right? I even sometimes take it as like a, like hands together and a bow, like, thank you which is like a little bit of all of that together, you know? Point is, it's fluid, and how do you, you know, how do you decide how to communicate with your people? And what do you do when your people are communicating in a way you don't understand? Probably good to just think about that, right? Who who are your people, and how do they talk to each other? And how do they expect you to talk to them? That's what we're going to talk about, among other things, with our guest today, Mignon Fogarty, who you've been a fan of, Jill, a.k.a. Grammar Girl. Can you say a bit about how you kind of came across Mignon and her work?
0: I've followed Mignon forever. She's just she makes something that I think a lot of us sort of dislike grammar and makes it really fun and non-judgmental. Yeah. And so she does it in such a in such a way that it's fun. And anybody that can make grammar fun is a saint. Because who better to talk about communication and language than Mignon?
2: And she really emphasizes play And she has a game, a card game crowdfunded called Peeve Wars, which makes the conversation around grammar fun and playful. And we talk about the role of playfulness for sure. But uh, Mignon's great. Check her out. She's Grammar Girl on the internets. And let's get into that conversation with Mignon Fogarty, a.k.a. Grammar Girl, on this episode of The Community Experience.
0: Oh, yeah. Prayer hands. (laughs) Right, Welcome, everybody. We are so excited for our guest today. I love Bignon Fagarty. I have been following Grammar Girl since I want to say the beginning. I mean, I don't know actually when that was, but I'm pretty sure I was close by. Welcome. Welcome to the show, Mignon.
2: Yay. Welcome, Mignon.
0: Thank you, Jillian. Yay. Thank you, Tony. Yeah. We're just delighted. When we were coming up with guests, we wanted to join the show. You were like very top of our list because you are a friend of SPI. You've been involved in different things we've done. I've had the pleasure to meet you for some SPI Pro programming we did, and it's just a blast. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah. And I joined meeting you before too, so I'm happy to be back. For anybody listening that's not familiar, Mignon, Who are you? Give our audience a little bio. I'm Mignon Fogarty,
3: better known as Grammar Girl, which is what I say on my podcast. Um, I'm the host and creator of the Grammar Girl podcast, which just celebrated 15 years going. I'm the founder of the Quick and Dirty Tips podcast network, which has a bunch of other shows now too. And gosh, I'm the author of seven books about language, including a New York Times bestseller. That's going in my obituary. (laughs) It's a big, big deal. I'm an inductee in the Podcasting Hall of Fame. I love podcasting so much because it's been such a wonderful thing for me and I could just talk to people about podcasting all day every day.
0: Well, great. (laughs) (laughs) And I realize I mispronounced your last name, which is a very classic thing for me to do. So apologies. But you got my first name right, which is what people usually mess up. So I think you did great. Well, thanks. Well, thanks. Tony knows. I get very hung up on pronouncing things.
2: What's your favorite or least favorite mispronunciation of your name? I'm a Bacigalupo, so I have extensive experience with mispronunciation.
3: Oh, I think Mignon is, Mignon. is the one that-
0: <laughs> Megnon. yeah.
3: It sounds like a drink Mignon. you have at the holidays.
0: <laughs> it does. It sounds delicious. <laughs> Mignon. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Even just that is it's just amazing. Everything you've accomplished. And like, my first thought is just like, wow. I mean, obviously working very, very hard in the thick of it, (laughs) the day to day, did it feel like, I mean, did it all just kind of, you know, you work hard at stuff and you take steps and it just sort of organically built upon itself?
3: Yeah. I mean, in the beginning I worked really, really hard. Like I, I didn't, I don't think I took a weekend off for the first three years. Like, it was crazy, and and I've become much more a proponent of not glamorizing overwork. Like I would look back and I would say I probably regret that I worked that hard. But then having worked that hard, it's really tapered off over the years. So it's hard to say. Like, did that hard work set me up now so that I have a, a lovely, sane life? Like maybe it did, uh, but I don't know. Maybe it didn't. Maybe it would have been fine either
0: way. Just living the dream. Like that just sounds like such a great place to be. And I love that you've been so successful with something like the topic of grammar that, that most people, it's like how I feel about math. Like when I, if someone was like quick and dirty math tips, I'd be like, oh, you know, like thinking about school. I'm like, no, oh no. And, and you've taken something that is kind of like scary to a lot of people and made it just so approachable and fun and interesting.
3: And that was really deliberate, From the beginning, everything from Grammar Girl being a cartoon character to in the logo to picking the color orange as the main color. Orange is a friendly, happy color. you know, I specifically chose that for that reason because grammar can be so intimidating. I was trying everything I could to make it fun and friendly and not intimidating. So,
0: so, so definitely thought went into that. Absolutely. I'm sure a lot of people to interview want to talk about specifically about Grammar Girl and your podcast. But something that we were talking about a little before we hit record that I would love to dive into is this other project you have going on that started as a crowdfunding activity. So why don't you fill everyone listening in on this idea and, and what how it all came about, because it's really cool. Thanks. Yeah, I have a card game
3: called Peeve Wars, and there the are grammar heroes and little monsters who are peeves, and your goal is to build an army of peeves that, that you then use to annoy your opponents to death. So you, you attack with your army of peeves, and if, if you win, your opponents lose a cool point. They lose their cool. A great thing, again, was finding good partners. So I had this idea for a game. Pet peeves have always been little monsters, little cute monsters in my mind. And then I had the idea for a game, but I didn't know how to make one. And there was, you know, it, it's a whole different thing from podcasting. And But then um, Len Peralta is a fabulous artist who was available to do the art. And I met a good friend now named Joe Kisenweather who was a game designer. And when I realized Len could do the art and Joe could do the, the game, which you were talking about math, Building a good game is a very mathy thing. and Joe is a mathematician who now who designs games, you know he really had the skills and to make it fun. You know, I could I came up with the idea, but he made it fun. But still, like how do we bring it all together? and then, crowdfunding became a thing that people did. And, and I realized I could make the game through a crowdfunding project. So we did that way back in, I think it was 2014 that we did the crowdfunding project. The fans were amazing, fully funded. This is the year that I'm finally promoting P4s for Christmas. That is
2: so exciting. And what a time to do it. I feel like we need some good, honest to goodness, old fashioned style, real games in our lives.
3: Yeah, it, it's just, it's a, it's fun.
2: <laughs> fun is a good thing. We need more fun in the world. And I'm, I'm curious your thoughts about the role of play and fun and making things games, especially when there may be topics that are important or scary or difficult, intimidating. What role do you see games playing in kind of breaking down barriers and, and how, you know, getting people to open up and relax a little.
3: Oh, I think they're huge too. I actually, I have a, another game that I actually don't want to promote. (laughs) but I, I, I'm really into games as a way of learning. And when I think way, way back to when I was starting Grammar Girl, I, I was, my husband had a startup and we were living with my dad and my two younger brothers were there. And my younger brother was, I think he was in junior high and he was doing terribly, just, he was doing so bad in school, but he played Pokemon and he could tell you, everything about every card he it was clear that he could learn that he had a good memory that he was intelligent he just didn't care about school and he did care about pokemon and so you know i was thinking how do we make learning more fun how can we make learning like a game and entertaining and that was one of the things that was in my mind when i started the grammar girl podcast is it has to be fun
2: absolutely absolutely and and what's the response been like yeah
3: it's been great. One of the things I did to make it fun is I have two recurring characters in the show. I have Squiggly and Aardvark. So Squiggly is a yellow snail and Aardvark is a blue Aardvark. And they go on adventures together. You know, They're kind of like the Bert and Ernie or the odd couple. You know, Aardvark is very cranky, likes to fish. Squiggly is very irresponsible and will do anything for chocolate. Um, so, you know, and they get annoyed with each other. So actually, Aardvark only gets annoyed with Squiggly. Squiggly is pretty clueless. But they... You you know, they show up in the example sentences a lot and sort of are a running theme throughout the, the podcast. And then what was so gratifying is um, they got... Uh, they appeared as cartoons first in the book. So the artists for for my books, we have some squiggly and aardvark cartoons to help people remember, you know, different rules. And then to see them come to life in the game, Len drew them in full color for, they were black and white in the books, they were full color for Peeve Wars. And it's been just so fun to see them sort of come to
2: life. Amazing. I I feel like, you know, creating characters like that is so endearing and it must create a really strong relationship, you know, between the folks who find them and and what you're doing. That's a really great starting point for a crowdfunding campaign too. Have you found in the course of creating that campaign that there was this kind of wellspring of support and, and excitement built up, you know, were people like really, really excited to not just support you, but the characters you created as well?
3: I think so. I think that the thing that really seemed to drive the crowdfunding to success was the ability for people to... Big contributors got to appear on a card. So those were the things that really brought us over the top in the end is a woman bought a card for her mom, who was a librarian. And, that, and some, one of the grammar heroes in the game is the librarian. You know, there, there were people who wanted to see either themselves or as a gift, someone on a card. And that, that really made a big difference. Wow.
2: That sounds fun. That's a great
0: idea.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And then they drew them as cartoons. So, you know, there's a caricature of them on the card.
2: Amazing.
0: What a great way to get, you know, you're kind of your super fans, the people who are obviously really into it to, you know, beyond just crowdfunding to just like to actually like be a part of it, to have a piece of that game. That's a really, really thoughtful way to let people feel like extra included.
2: Yeah, it it
0: was really neat.
2: (laughs) So cool. Are you finding that your interactions are getting have gotten kind of more exciting or interactive in one area more than another? Is one area surprising you in terms of where people are showing up and responding?
3: Yeah. So I'm pretty active on social media. So I have a big Facebook page, not a group, a page about 650,000 fans, followers. I forget what they're called there. (laughs) And I'm probably most active on Twitter. That's where I'm sort of most available as a person as opposed to a brand. <laughs> yeah, and you know what's what one thing I was thinking of when you're talking about crowdfunding, you know, I think that all those things support the brand and the enthusiasm and the community. But when it comes to getting people to actually take an action, the newsletter is the most powerful. Thing to get people to actually click. So you know when I talk about something in the podcast and on the uh, on social media, and then included in the newsletter, that's when we get the best response. That's the other thing that sort of drove the crowdfunding campaign to completion. Was. You know, I think that you you build excitement and you build enthusiasm and awareness on these other platforms, but it can be kind of hard to take action on those other platforms. And so, you know, when you can just put a click in front of people, a link to click, you know, that doesn't disappear on the news feed or the Twitter feed in 10 seconds, but it's there in the inbox, that has a lot of power in terms of making something happen. But in terms of, you know, interacting and creating a sense of a community I think social media is great for that. I recently started doing TikTok maybe, I don't know, five, six months ago. And I I don't do it every day. And I'll take breaks and then I'll do like Five days in a row, and then I won't do anything for a week. So I'm really, I'm I'm super erratic. I'm I'm like not doing it right. I'm definitely not doing it right if you were wanting to build a huge audience there. But it's not really my goal to build a huge audience there. It's just sort of my goal to be there too as a presence for people who are there. And, you know, I thought that I'd be reaching a lot of new people, and and maybe I am. But what's been surprising me is how many people have commented, I listened to your podcast and I'm so excited to see you here. I've never seen your face before. And this is really fun. So every day or two, I get a comment like, that. And so I'm, I'm actually reaching um, existing listeners who are, happen to be on TikTok and now they're seeing me there. And, and I think that's fun too. I follow you on TikTok and I love your TikToks. Thank you. They're great. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of fun. I, I, I really don't have an agenda there or a, if I wanted to build a big audience there, I'd be doing much more prescriptive stuff. I'd be doing, you know, straight grammar tips, how to use a comma, but instead I tend to use it to talk about things about language that I find interesting. And then I sort of rotate in a writing thing every once in a while, cause I feel like I should, but <laughs> I'm just messing around, but it, it's, it's fun. And sometimes, you know, that's something that people enjoy seeing too, is just you being you doing the things that are interesting and not necessarily the most strategic thing you could possibly be doing.
0: It's funny you mentioned that. Cause I actually noticed that, that on TikTok what you're covering is different than the usual, you know, the the podcast and other places that you share knowledge. Um, there's, yeah, there's a lot of like, um, Oh, the, I just looked at it before we started recording and now I'm spacing it, but it's sailors. Oh, landlubbers. Landlubber. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, did you know, it's kind of a, did you know thing? And it's a clever, whether it's, you know, very intentional or not, it's, it's a really clever strategy for lack of a better word, uh, for different platforms. Because I feel like I see a different side of where your brain is on TikTok than I might on your podcast. And it's like, of course, it's all overlapping, but it's it's kind of fun. It's kind of like, I know when I see your TikToks, it's going to be something totally different than what I see elsewhere.
3: Right. And, and it's funny, that landlubber one. So it was, I always thought landlubber was a funny way of saying land lover, but it's not. And I discovered that while I was editing that week's show about Pirate Talk for Talk Like a Pirate Day. The woman who had written it for me had landlubber and I was like, oh, I should probably change that to land lover. And then I was like, I should probably look that up and be sure. And so again, if I were being 100% strategic, I probably would have said in the TikTok that it was related to my episode this week, episode 841 check it out, link in bio. But again, I'm just really just having fun.
0: (laughs) Sometimes I think that is more important, you know, because then you'll stick with it. If it's, if it's not like, oh, and now I have to add a link and, you know, I have to add this call to action. Yeah.
2: People respond to authenticity, you know, when you're coming back to that idea of fun and play, you know, when you're having a good time, people feel you having a good time and they want to have a good time with you. Yeah. uh, Which is a great thing it does bring up a really interesting topic around your identity and how your identity relates to your brand or your community things like that one of the issues we see with community leaders is that they pretty consistently burn out and sustainable community leadership is kind of a elusive aspiration so i'm curious what thoughts you have about how to play with that and what are some healthy ways of approaching it?
3: Yeah. I'm not sure I know the healthy ways. I've had this talk many times with um, people. Yeah. I think early, especially early on in those early years when I was working myself to death, that my identity was 100% entwined with grammar girl in perhaps even an unhealthy way. Lately I've been finding that it's troublesome to me that my my online persona doesn't necessarily match how I'm feeling in the world. Like I've been pretty bummed about the world. And I'm a former scientist and a former science writer. So the pandemic has just really got me down in a big way. And and yet I'm online trying to be Cheerful and friendly. And I'm talking about grammar. Sometimes my heart and my brain are saying, Oh my God, the world is ending. Who cares about commas? <laughs> right? Like, how can I possibly be out here talking about the difference between which versus that when there are 150,000 people getting COVID every week? You know, and I really struggle with continuing to operate my business in a way that doesn't always match what I'm feeling. And I look at my accounts, especially my Twitter account that I don't have as much trouble on Facebook and LinkedIn where I just post links to articles for the most part and respond to comments. But on Twitter, where I am more of a person, you know, I look at my account and I'm like, am I a brand? Am I a person? What am I here? I have a separate Twitter account but it's a pain to switch between accounts and I don't have as many followers there. So it's not as fun to post there. So I just find myself always gravitating back toward posting everything on the grammar girl account. Even when I feel like maybe I should keep them more separate. I try not to be, I don't know. I feel like I can't be the doom and gloom girl. I'm grammar girl, (laughs) you know, but at home, at home, I'm the doom and
0: gloom girl. (laughs) This is such an important topic though. Cause I think we, like, as you're talking, I'm like, yeah, me too. Because there's this, I know like as a community manager in particular, I don't have the following you do, but same kind of idea where, yeah, like, it's like, you don't want to say something that is going to become this big controversial thing and create more of an issue, but you also don't want to be silent on things that matter. It's a tough place. I think speaking of, you know, TikTokers and people on social media, somebody who I think does it really well. I can't think of their name, but their handle is under the desk news. Oh, okay. Are you familiar? No, no, I'll check it out under the desk. Yeah, it's great. And it's just, just this wonderful person. The, the shtick is like hiding under the desk and delivering news. And as we all know, the news mostly sucks. And that's a lot of the content, but then they do this good news only banana shirt thing. So like they'll put this banana shirt on and be like, it's a good news only episode. They're also, even though a lot of it is just like tough things that are going on, they're just so kind and they make you feel better about things in a way. So that's a, I think that's a great example of a, of an account that does it, but not to, not to brush over the fact. I think Tony and I can both agree. Like it is very hard to decide how much to share
3: Right. And like a, a good example, a recent example is the, the Keldor fire. I had two friends whose homes were threatened by the Keldor fire. And yet, like, I don't think my followers necessarily want to hear about. It. I don't know. And, and, but then I felt like, like, so, like there are times when I just go dark. I go silent because I feel like if I'm not, willing to post about the things, the bad things in the world that are affecting other people, then I don't deserve to post about grammar. And then, but then I feel like I have a responsibility to post about grammar because it's not just me. I'm part of a company and people depend on me for their jobs, you know? So like, not that every tweet matters, but yeah, I struggle with that a lot,
0: a lot, a lot. (laughs) Yeah there's something valuable. We talk a lot about boundaries in community and in community building, it's a big part of the profession because you can burn out so easily. As an aside, I want to I want a definitive answer on this because I have so many opinions and I've I've been saving it for this interview, but <laughs> But it's amazing how many times you might like post something that matters deeply to you and one person sees that and it impacts them in such a positive way. It was 100% worth it. You just just don't see that in the like retweets and likes and, you know, like all the logarithm stuff.
3: Right. And one one really rewarding thing I did recently too for the fifteenth anniversary podcast, I raised fifteen thousand dollars for donors choose for teachers. And that was amazing. It felt so good. And thank you to the listeners who donated. And then I was this is where I, I, I get to inside my head. I was then every Tuesday I was going to pick a teacher and do a you know, just a campaign for that individual teacher. And I did that for a few weeks. But then the Calder fire happened and the hurricane in New Orleans. And I thought, how can I ask for money for This classroom to buy books when there are people whose homes have been destroyed, you know, and then and then I stopped doing it because it felt like it wasn't enough, you know. But I think I should start doing it again. But I I especially get hit by these big disasters; they just really like throw me off. But then COVID's like an ongoing big disaster. But yeah, yeah, it's it's a thing.
2: I guess it's a matter of practice that there are different forms of media that you can use, and there are different accounts you can use. For me personally, maybe that's my. Instagram stories or something or, or my Facebook page or something like that. But it sounds like it's uh, it's something that we're all probably figuring out as we go. And I don't know that anybody has it perfect.
3: Yeah. And I think you made an excellent point because I do remind myself that I find great comfort in other people's frivolous content. That's something to not forget either is that people
0: want and need
3: distractions no matter what's going on
0: what you said about getting lost in other people's like silly or frivolous content like yes i wholeheartedly agree like i have my own views and like everybody in this country anymore they're strong and they might not be the same as everyone else's and it's nice to consume content that has nothing to do with that okay i want to just shift gears. This is silly, but I feel like silly is great. Silly and frivolous. I need your honest answer on a question that's been bothering me for years. And I have, to be fair, I've looked it up and I have not found a satisfying answer. So I'm curious on your take, because I love your take. The word light, I've seen it spelled two ways, L-I-G-H-T and L-I-T-E. And a lot of people and companies seem to use them interchangeably. What are your thoughts on this? (laughs) So
3: that is a lot like through and through. Like So light, L-I-G-H-T, is the traditional standard English spelling. And light, L-I-T-E, I would say is sort of the marketing spelling. You know, you want Some light ice cream, you know. You might see it with L I T E light donuts. (laughs) Um, You know, it it very and it's very much the same. What what made me think of through and through is you often drive-throughs are drive T H R U. You'll never see a drive-through. I don't think written as T H R O U G H, but that's the the traditional standard english spelling and i think light and light are are the same that and through t h r u is expanding it you know it's becoming i wouldn't say you shouldn't use it in a school essay you shouldn't use it in a company's annual report you shouldn't use it in a cover letter for a job but you see it you know in blog posts and, and in informal communications like that and it's not the end of the world and i think it's the same for light, l i t e it's it's just a very informal spelling and then the the people who are the grammar sticklers the the hardcore grammar people would say you know it's an abomination it is laziness and it's ruining dumbing down the english language but i don't think that <laughs> but there are people who think that so that's why you have to be careful to use it when you're not in a position where you need to be perceived as Credible, <laughs> I guess.
2: Well, okay. So th- this actually—it's kind of a random connection, but being perceived as credible, I think it's valuable for us to talk about it because, you know, we talk about community building. You know, it seems to me like making sure that you're doing a good job. With your language, oh great! Of course, I'm butchering my grammar as I am saying this. <laughs> that you're, you know, handling your language well is a a super important thing that some people may not even realize is a thing. Is that? Uh, can you speak more to that?
3: Yeah, I think that's generally true, but I think it also depends on the context. I mean, if you are running like a heavy metal. Community, like nobody's going to expect your grammar to be perfect. In fact, if it was, you, if if it were, you might even be seen as suspicious because you're too proper, you know? So I think, I think it does depend on the context, but in general, I think that it is good. You want to have proper grammar and punctuation and, and all that when you're posting as a professional. But even so, like, like, let's, let's go on a kids today talk. So I was at the American copy editor society meeting two actually years ago now, probably three years ago. And on a talk about social media, two of the women who were giving the talk were younger than I am. And they're very credible, accomplished women. And they said that, typically you shouldn't end a sentence with a period on social media that you should just write it out and not put a period that that's the way it's kind of done on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and, and on social media. And there was a collective gasp in the room. I mean, they're young, they, they were on the younger side of everyone who was there. And I mean, people were just like, oh, no. <laughs> but I mean, I kind of think They were right, at least in some contexts. I mean, if you are 25 and writing on Twitter and your community is all 25, that is the right way to do it for that group of people. That's what they are used to seeing. That's what they expect to see. So I really think, you know, it it comes down to the age-old advice that was given decades ago. It's still relevant. Consider your audience who is your audience? Who are you writing for? And if it's 16 year olds or 50 year old rockers or whatever, it's, it's different from if you're writing for, you know, a group of marketers or a group of editors.
0: That's so interesting. It's also the flip too. Like if I wanted to be seen as credible to, you know, more the like, Older boomers, for example, I would really want to tighten that grammar up because if I'm missing punctuation, they'd just, you know, they'd immediately be like, "Who is this person?" Yes, yeah, it it just
3: depends. There's a fascinating the fascinating age related difference with emoticons. So older people tend to put noses in their smiley faces, and younger people leave out the nose. And you can kind of tell how old someone is by whether they put a nose in their smiley faces or
0: not. Oh, that's so funny.
2: I'm like the oldest millennial, you know, like I'm like on the very oldest end of millennial side. So I feel like, (laughs) although sometimes it's, it's like made very apparent to me that I am old now. And like the kids are doing things totally differently. I heard that like the laughing emojis, the kids don't, whatever. Anyway, so the point is like, I could in my communications with a given community, really play up my younger side of my millennial energy and like use lots of emojis and gifts and things. Or I could pull that back and keep things kind of straight and clean and, you know, more traditional and professional. But which approach is going to work better and be more effective for my audience is going to depend a lot on Who's in the room and what what they're going to respond to?
3: Exactly. I had a really interesting experience with gifts a couple of years ago. So I you know I just searched for some sort of reaction thing. You know, it was something like happy or I don't know. So I, I picked this gift that just visually represented what I was trying to do, and a bunch of people responded. I loved that scene in that movie, and I didn't know what it was. So I was thinking, wow, I'm so lucky that that wasn't something offensive or, you know, that the the gifts, they can carry these layers of meaning that you're not aware of if you don't know where they come from. So that was a really good lesson for me to be more careful choosing gifts that I know what they mean.
2: (laughs) I'll I'll give a shout to knowyourmeme.com, K-N-O-W, knowyourmeme.com, which provides the backstory and explanation of kind of the, the etymology of a given meme. And of course, urban dictionary, the, the classic comes in handy as well.
0: Very useful. Oh, I love a good love a good gif or meme. I mean, I almost feel like like with the emojis, it's almost like hieroglyphics. Like we've gone full circle in our language. It's like but it's just like the next like dimension of it.
2: And it's universal. It goes across languages.
3: There's some people doing really interesting research about emojis as gestures. I think her name is Lauren Gone. I think she's one of the hosts of the Lingthusiasm podcast. She's a linguist who researches gestures. And I believe she says that emoji sometimes replace a gesture. And not just like the thumbs up emoji. Obviously, that's like a gesture. But, you know, whereas we might, I don't know, do things gesture wise, other emoji that aren't as obvious can also take the place of that, which is, you know, missing in written communication. Oh
0: yeah. I love to do like a, I usually do it to my mom. Sorry, mom. But you know, she, she's like send something to me that I'm like, what, you know, and uh, I'll do like the face that just has the, like the eyes that are slants and the mouth. So slants kind of like a, what are you doing? I'm not impressed. Kind of over the top, like dramatic daughter reaction basically, but it works. It, it's a whole message.
2: Well, it, it's interesting because I feel like we're all compelled to consider the implications of the shift in language. And I, I feel like this is probably an ongoing conversation among grammar circles about written communication. There's pretty consistent rules, right? And, and the way that that's structured. I feel like there, there's probably an ongoing question and shift around like what, what even is correct grammar in different contexts now?
3: I know the AP style book has been struggling and updating the style book to address how to, for example, how to quote a tweet that has emoji in it or at the end, or how to to quote a tweet that has an attached GIF. You know, you have to, because you do want to get the whole context. It wouldn't be the same if you just wrote what someone wrote in the tweet but didn't mention the GIF, you know? So they're coming up with style guides, style rules for how to handle that.
2: It makes sense, right? Because it, You've got really important communications that are happening, you know, celebrities or politicians or something World leaders, where yeah. the content of what they're saying is the words and also the whatever is attached to it, the, the visuals. Crazy. <laughs> well, and you know, it's it's worth noting as a community manager, you might also have to be managing these kinds of things within your community that you might have.
0: Oh, absolutely. As someone who's managed a very large teen community before, yes. Uh, Having to know how to use the word yeet. (laughs) Yes, yeah. (laughs) Which became an ongoing joke because I would intentionally use it wrong, you know, to rile them up. And then it turned into a whole, it's a whole thing. I have a mug that says yeet on it. That was a joke. That's awesome. (laughs) That's a result. I love that. Yeah internet tone is is a is an art and so if you can add this little image at the end that kind of either reinforces what you're saying or shows that this is a joke it's pretty interesting it's like very advanced where language and technology meet and just turn into some whole new level right yeah yeah
2: i'm also realizing you know there's there's a lot of opportunity for embracing the change in language that you can create that you can create your own Languages or, or you know, inside jokes and imagery. In our team SPI Slack, we have custom emoji reactions, and frankly, I don't understand what most of them even mean. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> but, like which ones? I don't. Well, like the the weird little like fast moving rainbow jelly things that go back and forth and the party parrot. Give me like an ep. No, there's like David uses them a lot. They're like epileptic, like. Little, like, flashy things, and they're super annoying. But <laughs> I, don't oh, know.
0: I think that's one of the many party parrots.
2: Yeah. Oh, their parents. It's the, it's
0: the one that's on overdrive. But there's that yeah. customization
3: again. You know, people love to create their own tools, their own language, their own way of communicating. We, we end every Grammar Girl podcast with a Familect story, which is someone telling the story of a word their family and only their family uses. And a lot of people tell me they love that part of the show. And they're always just fascinating stories of words that families use themselves that nobody else would know what they meant. It's a way of showing in-group connection.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well, my gosh, I could talk forever about all of these things, but I think we should move to the lightning round. What do you think, Tony? Is it time?
2: Yeah, go for it, Excellent question.
0: My heart rate is speeding up. Yeah. All right, (laughs) Mignon. Mignon, when you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? A writer. (laughs) Ta-da, done.
2: Any any particular kind?
0: Actually, I wanted to be a journalist. I
3: wanted to be Lois Lane. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And you did do that. I was. I was a journalism professor. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: Well done, Lois. (laughs) And how do you define... Oh, this will be really good because of your background. How do you define community?
3: Mm, A group of people with a common interest who
0: are there to support each other. Love it. Okay. So whether you have a literal figurative, (laughs) whether you have a bucket list or not, what is something that would be on your quote unquote bucket list that you have done? Something you've always wanted to do that you did? Oh,
3: I took an amazing vacation. I went to a cruise to Antarctica and that was my last big vacation before the pandemic. And it was, I'm, I'm just eternally grateful that I got to do it. We saw so many penguins, penguins and whales just every day. It was amazing.
0: How does, how does a cruise to the how does that work? Like where did you start and how long of a boat trip? Yeah, it was, it was almost a month long. And I think we
3: started in Florida and I think we ended in LA and we went down around the tip. We went through the cape, the horn, the, I'm blanking on all the names, but like the, where the, um, where the sea the two seas meet the what is it called the it's a it's the horn <laughs> it's, it's you could the, tell me it, the, yeah the, I don't know the seas are incredibly rough because the two oceans come together there and so we oh had you know, twenty foot waves and it was crazy you couldn't even like go get food in the cafeteria because you can hardly stand up and it was wild and and then the the ice is just incredible and beautiful and. the the sea life is amazing. And yeah, it was, it was a trip of a
0: lifetime and I'm just so grateful we got to do it. That's amazing. Yeah. Glacial ice is like the color of heaven. It's just like the most beautiful blue. I love it so much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, wow. All right. Well then I'm really interested in this next one. What is something on your bucket list that you have yet to do? What's a big goal you have for your life?
3: So this goal I've had for a really long time, probably 10 or 15, 10, probably 10 years now is I want to, I think I want to write a novel, but I haven't done it. So do I really want to do it? Or I just do I just want to say I've done it? I'm, I'm a huge um, writing advice fan. So I love reading writing advice books. I love listening to writing advice podcasts. But when it comes to sitting down and actually writing something, I have not made even remotely good progress. So I, I'm I'm sort of reevaluating whether I, I want, I'm I'm asking myself, do I actually want to do this? And if, if so, then why haven't I? So that's something that I need to interrogate, but that, that is like the biggest project I can think of that, that would be sort of a bucket list kind of thing that I would like to accomplish. I think,
0: I think (laughs) maybe maybe you just need the right story to come to you to like set off the, Yeah, but I've had 10
3: years.
2: I
0: mean, what's the
2: problem?
0: I don't know. Uh. Okay, this will be great. What is a book that you've either recently read or just sticks with you because you love so much that you think everybody should read?
3: Mm. Well, I just finished a series of the audiobooks that I really liked. I'm, I'm really bad about remembering names, but I think it was called After Atlas and Before Mars. And I forget what the third book in this series is. And the author's name is Emma, and I can't remember her last name. I think it starts with an N. <laughs> but the um, the audiobooks were just really great, especially the, the second one in the series was my favorite. And they just had such, in- the, the premises of these books were just fascinating. I I really, really enjoyed them. Mm -hmm. Um, And
0: these are fiction, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Science fiction. Science fiction. Yeah. yeah.
3: So that's, are you finding it? Can we get her actual name? Emma Newman. I was right. Starts with an N. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, there's one I did a TikTok about, and I think the title is Lights All Night Long. It's something like that are very similar to that and it was it was the best book at doling out information only as you needed it so it was A page turner because it was a weird story and you just got tiny bits of what was actually happening through the first, you know, 20% of the book or so. And it just kept me completely engrossed. And as I said, because I'm a writing advice junkie, you know, I could see like, this is the best example of withholding information from the reader that I remember ever reading. So I thought that was just incredibly impressive. And and so I recommended the book when I was about a third of the way through and a bunch of people said, well, that's kind of risky, isn't it? In it, and it's true, but like I, I finished it and I still loved it by the
0: end. <laughs> <panned out>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Looks like it's Lights All Night Long by Lydia Fitzpatrick. Yes. Thank Does you. That sound right? Yeah. Yes. Sounds good. I think we have similar book tastes. I'm going to find you on Book read, or Goodreads. Goodreads. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If you could live anywhere else in the world, where would you live? Oh, that's easy. Uruguay. I love
3: Uruguay. Um, we, we saw it on our, so I had a graduate student who did a semester there and was always talking about how wonderful it was. And so um, when we went on that cruise, we stopped we had a stop in Uruguay and, and I loved it as much as he talked about it and thought it would be an amazing place to live. It's right on the ocean. They don't have earthquakes. <laughs> they don't get, tornadoes or they don't get hurricanes. you know every, the people are really nice. The, the biggest problem for me is that there's not a lot of English there. I've been trying to learn Spanish and not and not, not I mean I'm still, you know it's funny I do Duolingo, but I probably only do five minutes a day. So i have the equivalent of like half a high school Spanish class you know after a year or something like that. so I feel like I'm not making great progress, but I'm not putting an extraordinary amount of time into it either. but yeah, you, you would pretty much have to learn Spanish to be able to f- live there and function well. But other
0: than that, it looks amazing. Just think of the the Spanish grammar tip opportunity that you have awaiting you right. in Uruguay. <laughs> All right. And final question, how do you want to be remembered?
3: I want to be remembered as someone who helps people, someone who's really, really nice and made
0: a difference in the world during her time here. That If I were remembered like that. I would be happy. That is beautiful and a perfect a perfect note to end on. Mignon, thank you so much for joining us and talking about all sorts of things. I want to make sure if someone for some reason doesn't know where you are, where should they? Where can they go to find you? Well, my website is quickanddirtytips.com, and there's the Grammar Girl section there.
3: And you can find me on Twitter and Facebook as Grammar Girl. And then on Instagram, I'm the Grammar Girl. And on TikTok, I think I'm the real Grammar Girl. Like, but if you, if you search for me, you can usually find me almost anywhere by searching for Grammar Girl.
0: Awesome. And then the game is Peeve Wars. And where can people buy that?
3: Yes. So if you do a Google search for Peeve Wars,
0: for me, the top res- result is the store, and it's at
3: a company. company called The Game Crafter. It's a US print on demand company. And they're saying like buy now to get it in time for Christmas. You probably have a little bit of time, but you know, everyone's saying you should do your Christmas shopping early this year. So it's Peeve Wars, annoy your opponents to death at thegamecrafter.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I love to talk about these interesting, deep things.
2: So there we have it, our interview with Mignon Fogarty, a.k.a. Grammar Girl, and so fun. I really love where we kind of landed the plan in that conversation, especially the idea of really leaning into inside jokes, making up your own words, making up your own language within your community
0: yeah i couldn't agree more there's something that can make a community special like certainly you don't want to be so exclusive that only the the cool people know what this means but a great example that happened somewhat recently is our audience-driven summit in the chat for the summit there were members of our community spi pro and everyone kept saying team grape team peach and we all knew that's our mastermind group names. And we were just having so much fun and we did explain it to everybody else. But the fact that we have that kind of inside joke, because we do that all the time in our live calls, we're like, who's here? What mastermind groups?
2: Yeah, exactly. And and that I'm sure those people felt a great amount of joy and pride in shouting out those team names as they went. Community is about, in, in a lot of ways, identity, having that shared language. And I also want to shout out Know Your Meme, by the way. If you ever feel like you are behind and you do not get what the heck is going on with memes, knowyourmeme.com is the way. It really helps you out. And uh, they give
0: like a legitimate origin story. It's it's almost scientific. It's beautiful.
2: Yeah, it's like an encyclopedia.
0: Tony, what's your favorite like meme? Ooh. I know. That's a really hard question. Yeah. It's like picking a favorite child.
2: I really liked This isn't the all time answer, but I really liked when Biden was being inaugurated and Bernie Sanders was sitting there with his arms folded (laughs) and with the mittens. And he had like, he had like a, like a manila envelope under his arm. And it was like, somebody on the internet said like, Bernie Sanders has the energy of this is like, I have other things to do today. (laughs) 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 Yeah, that, that does it for me. What, What about you, Joe?
0: I really like the Spider-Man one where it's the two Spider-Men's pointing at each other.
2: <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Timeless. You could use that in so many contexts. Yeah. So
0: many. So many. Something I really liked talking about with Binyan cuz I think we all feel this on a level depending what our branding, our message, like what we're whatever it is we're trying to do in the world but something that she touched on is the criticism um, that she said people are dying. Who cares about which versus that, you know, like which do I use the word which, or do I use the word that for something like who cares about grammar when the world is in the state it is. Cause I think we all feel that way time to time is what I am passionate about or focused on. Does not even really matter? (laughs) And I think it's important to, to come from a place of, having fun and exploring your creativity and what, what jazzes you up because that is the respite from the world is on fire and another meme, the this is fine with the fire everywhere.
2: Oh, <laughs> uh, the this is fine meme is so, so good as well. Really helped us get through top five for some me. crazy times. It's a really nuanced thing though. And, and you have to deal with it in community where I might, as a person or as a brand, wake up on a given day and say, okay, today, I, you know, I'm so cheerful and I want to talk about something, you know, that I care about that maybe is a little bit silly, but I care about it. Like which versus that? And then you wake up and it's like, oh, somebody, you know, some terrible thing happened and a bunch of people are angry and there's a huge controversy and your whole timeline is filled with it. And you have that kind of moment of, Jay-Z meme where he's like, you know, and kind of turning away. Homer backing into the bushes, you know, where are like, uh, maybe I shouldn't talk about this. But then we have stretches sometimes where that could go on for weeks or months. You know, in some ways you could look at it as years of just, you know, when, when is it okay to talk about stuff that isn't the serious crises of our time? And, and how do you strike that balance recognizing that maybe you care a lot about those things. Well, it reminds me of 9-11. After 9-11, The Onion published a series of articles just going straight at 9-11. And at first I think like, well, how could anybody do anything tasteful, even reasonably tasteful about 9-11? But it was so funny. It was so funny because it you know, it, it went right after what was going on in a way that that wasn't insensitive. It was it was actually quite sensitive to how we were feeling in that moment. God angrily clarifies, do not kill rule. You know? and it's like just like so many really, really terrorists surprised to find selves in hell, you know, and, and just it's, it's really cathartic. So, you know, maybe there's that balance you can find in in your community as well.
0: Because when you give up all hope, then what's the point like you gotta you gotta keep going you gotta keep on keeping on. I will say though maybe we ended on this is it reminds me of the the Mr. Rogers quote about his mom i'm gonna i'm gonna brutalize this, I'm sorry, but you know it's like when things when horrible things happen, his mom said, "Look for the helpers," and I think uh you know keeping your spirits up helps you be the helpers.
2: I like it. Go be the helpers. Go keep your spirits up. Bring the light. Make happy memes. Make fun inside jokes. Keep doing fun things with your community. We'd love to hear how you feel about all of this and what your favorite memes are. Find us on Team SPI on Twitter. And we'd love to hear from you. So go forth and meme.
0: Life's a garden. Dig it.
2: <laughs>
0: I'm on a whole chair All right, uh, thing now.
2: Ca- ca- all right. Ca- oh, it's, a, it's, it's an inside reference I didn't get.
0: <laughs> well we will see you next tuesday on the community experience
2: this has been the community experience for more information on this episode including links and show notes head over to smartpassiveincome.com slash listen
0: Mignon is Grammar Girl, and you can find her pretty much all over the interwebs, but main website is quickanddirtytips.com. Of course, the Grammar Girl podcast, which can be found anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about Mignon's new game, Peep Wars, head on over to thegamecrafter.com. And on social, she's Grammar Girl, or the real Grammar Girl, depending on the platform search her up and you will find her
2: our executive producer is matt gartland our series producers are david grabowski and senior producer sarah jane hess editing and sound design by duncan brown music by david grabowski
0: see you next time